Good morning. My name is Adam Casel. I'm the vision and administration pastor on staff. Uh, a number of years ago, we were in our home having one of those days. You know what that's like? Our, our two oldest boys were fighting constantly. It was pretty unusual. So it felt like all I was doing and Carrie were, was doing was mediating conflict. And I was checking the clock throughout the day, like, is it bedtime yet? Is 4.30 too early to send these kids to bed? And so finally, I was done. I was like, boys, get away from each other. Go in separate rooms. I can't listen to it anymore. And our second oldest says, Dad, we'll figure it out. We always do. And I was like, you punk. You're right. And so I said, I know. I need a break. Go somewhere else. What I wanted that day, and probably many other days like that, was an absence of conflict. I wanted some peace and quiet. As parents, we, we often tell our kids, I need some peace and quiet. At the end of a long week, you may find yourself just wanting peace and quiet. Even the most extroverted among us can only take so much external stimulus, and you need a time to let down, to let yourself settle spiritually and physically. There's a book that I recently read uh, on a uh, way of looking at personalities, and, and the author talks about each of these different personality types have a core value, something that um, all of us could relate to because they're, they're good things, uh, but depending on your type, you have one that you just you hold to higher than the others. And there's one, one type in particular that wants peace, peace above everything else, but often will settle for calm. So they want peace, but they'll settle for calm. And I think all of us can relate to that on some level. We're all susceptible to desiring this true sense of peace, but settling for calm. When we read about peace in the Bible, it's something far greater than calm. Yet, we often find ourselves settling for this idea of calm. Today marks the beginning of the second week of Advent. Advent is a time of preparing ourselves for the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus. We, it's a time for us to re-enter into the anticipation of that first Christmas when God took on flesh and dwelt among us. Each week has a theme that we see embodied in Jesus. Last week, Randy spoke on hope. This morning, I'm going to talk about peace. Then we'll look at joy and then love. And when we meet Jesus, when we have an encounter with Jesus, we have an encounter with these realities. And if we encounter true hope, true joy, uh, true peace, and true love, we're encountering Jesus. Now, there's no question that Christmas has become highly commercialized. It's easy to want to create this perfect day, a perfect memory, or, or perfect experience. 
I'm not going to bash that or say knock it off. Because reality is, we'll keep desiring that until we, we see something greater and have a taste of something greater. And in fact, I think the idea of giving and receiving gifts, the aesthetic of, of the decorations, time off from work, time with family, our desire for loved ones to look back on that time together fondly and say, hey, remember that one year that, that we did that? Or, or it, was just, it was perfect. The snow was falling. The, the fire was amazing. Food was great. And that this longing for a perfect day, memory, or experience actually speaks to something greater within us. My favorite C.S. Lewis quote is from a sermon called The Weight of Glory. And early on, Lewis writes, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Advent is an invitation to turn up our desires for hope, peace, joy, and love. It's a time to not settle for anything less because we're reminded of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. So as we look at the idea of peace this morning, we turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, this should be up on the screen, but if you have a Bible with you, we have some physical Bibles up front, or if on your phone you want to, to pull that up, but Isaiah chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 this morning. Isaiah writes, The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of, of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. With righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord 
as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner. Jesus, we thank you for being the Prince of Peace. And we want this peace here and now. And so we ask your kingdom to come, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And those areas in our individual lives and in our city, our state, our country, around the world, where there's not this peace, would you bring your peace? We ask this in your name. Amen. This morning, what we're going to look at is that the Lord brings a nation rallying peace from an unlikely source. Now, the word peace is from the Hebrew word shalom. And shalom is not just about an absence of conflict. It's far greater than calm, as I was talking about earlier. Shalom is about flourishing. It's the idea that when I do well, you also do well. And when you're doing well, I'm also doing well. That's flourishing because we're, we're working together. It, it's not zero-sum competition where if I win, you lose, or if you win, I lose. It's everybody working together. And it, it's a time of no lack. And that generosity actually comes from this place of shalom. Shalom is also about a deep sense of relational strength. That if you're in shalom with another person, you're not walking on eggshells, worried about, I'm going to say or do the wrong thing and they're going to be upset or hurt or angry. It's this deep sense of knowing that the other person loves you and accepts you and you can't mess it up. And we're only able to experience this with other people and in our, in our world when we have shalom with God. And you don't have to wonder about what God thinks about you because Jesus accomplished this for us through his life, death, and resurrection. And we experience that when we trust him. Advent is the reminder that shalom has already come to earth and we're looking forward to a worldwide shalom. And it doesn't take us long to look around us and realize we're not there yet. Now this situation where God's going to bring a nation rallying uh, shalom or peace on earth is unlikely. And part of the reason it's unlikely is it's an unlikely situation. I'm going to reread verse 1. It says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. And from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. So why is there a stump? I'm not going to read it, but you can go back and look at it. Chapter 10, verses 24 to 34, talk about how the nation of Israel has been humbled. They've been like, like a tree. They've been chopped down. And so now all that's left is a, is a stump. However, be, because there is still a stump, it's not dead yet. It's mostly dead, but there's a big difference between all dead and mostly dead. 
They're in the midst of a dire situation. But even during this time, new life is going to spring up. And it's not just new life, it's fruit-producing life. I don't know about you, but when I look at a stump, the first thing I don't look at or think is, oh, there's life. Right? It's a reminder, actually, it looks like death. It feels like, oh, what could have been or what was. It doesn't look like hope or peace. So this is an unlikely situation. This shoot or branch that Isaiah sees and, and talks about is a person, and an unlikely person at that. So who is this person? Well, the next few verses, Isaiah talks about this person. He says that the Spirit is going to rest on this person. Now, that's from a Hebrew word, noach. If that sounds familiar, it's the name Noah. Because when Noah was born, his dad hoped that there would be rest for the people. Now, this, this word is similar to the word Shabbat, Sabbath. Right? They, they're used in poetic parallel with each other. They're, they're kind of close synonyms, but Noah has a sense of permanence. So if you Noah something, like a piece of clothing, it's going to stay there until you pick it up again. So in that way, the, whole, the, the spirit is going to rest on this person in a permanent way. Now, up until this point, the, the Spirit would interact with people in a variety of ways. It would empower people, uh, would fill people, it would be on people. But only a couple other times until here do we see the Holy Spirit resting on a person. So this is a unique way that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit is going to rest on this person. Now, as, as Isaiah goes on and talks about the Spirit, he has these seven descriptive words. Maybe you've heard, heard this referred to as the sevenfold Spirit. Seven is a sense of fullness or completeness. So the essentially what Isaiah is saying is the fullness of the Spirit is going to rest on this person unlike has ever happened before. Now, I'm going to walk briefly through these different descriptors of, of the Spirit. But when we see lists like this, what the author is trying to communicate is th there's completeness. The, there's nothing lacking in this person. So we see this, uh, the Spirit of the Lord. So the Holy Spirit, as we know now, after Jesus regenerates and, and lives within us when we trust Jesus, when we give him our, our full, exclusive allegiance. The Holy Spirit is the Lord's personal presence and power. He's a person, so not a force, not an entity. And he brings good and healing and life because that's who God is. It says that this is a, the spirit of wisdom. Now, wisdom is not just a state of being like, I've arrived. I'm in this place of wisdom. So here, I was a fool. Now, I'm wise. It's about pursuit and growth. It's a path that we're on. 
That's the, the wise person. Then it says it's the, the spirit of understanding. This is the idea of being in a mediator position. So it's not just hearing both sides, but being able to pull out the truth of what's actually going on. Have you ever been in a, in a place where you hear about a situation and you make a judgment on what's going on, and then you maybe later you get more information and realize the immediate judgment was wrong? Again, as, as a parent, I get, feel like I get plenty of opportunities. He hit me. He took this. Right? So we bring them together. Did you do that? Yeah. Why? Well, he said this. Did you say that? Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't justify, but it's interesting. The truth that comes out. Selectively sharing what's actually going on. It's a good thing as adults we outgrow this. Isaiah calls this spirit the spirit of counsel. That word actually is neutral. It could be good counsel or bad counsel, but because of the context, we know that the counsel is always going to be good. He goes on, he talks about it's the spirit of might. Now, that can be physical, physical strength or, or power, but for a Hebrew thinker, wisdom is more to be desired uh, of greater value than physical strength. So again, this person is just full of wisdom. The, the next is about knowledge. So it's how to do something. It's, it's very practical in nature. A couple of examples. One, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. Wisdom is knowing your house should be updated, right? Regularly maintained, improved. The knowledge here is how to actually do it yourself. That's, that's what uh, Isaiah is saying. This, this person is not only full of like theoretical wisdom, but actually knowing how to do things. The final descriptor is, is that there's a spirit of fear. And this is a good fear. It's reverence or awe or a, like a healthy terror that Isaiah experienced earlier when he encounters God and he says, I'm a dead man. This is realizing who God is and who we are and the vast uh, difference between us. This idea of fear in Proverbs is the beginning of wisdom. So we see that this is a wisdom-saturated person who's the only one who could bring shalom to earth because it, it needs wisdom. Verse 3 concludes with how this person's going to delight in the fear of the Lord. What's interesting is the word for delight is actually smell. He's going to smell the fear of the Lord. Now, I think this 
makes sense on a, a number of levels. One, for Israel, their worship involved all of the senses. Animal sacrifice was, would smell like a barbecue. And you would have incense burning in the temple. Our sense of smell is incredibly powerful. It's the strongest connection to memory. Have you ever noticed how even normally unpleasant smells can produce a fond memory? One of my grandparents, her house, the water had a lot of sulfur in it. But you smell that, not a pleasant smell, but it's like, ah, grandma's house. Bad odors push us away. Like, oh, you stink, go take a shower. Or, man, your breath smells, go, go brush your teeth. Right? We even talk about the sense of smell metaphorically to let, let us know something's not right. Right? We'll say that doesn't pass the sniff test. Conversely, our pleasant, pleasant smells can put us at ease. If you're really stressed, maybe you pull out your Serenity by Jan candle and just smell it. Let the stress melt away. Those pleasant aromas lets us know that even, even if for a moment, all is right within the world. So this shoot or branch is so acutely aware of righteousness or justice, he can smell it. The smelling of the fear of the Lord is why Isaiah says he doesn't judge by what he sees or hears. He's not influenced by external appearances. We all can be given to making snap judgments based just on outward appearances. And that's good or bad. For, for good, assume good, or assume, assume the bad. Last night, I was at uh, Lucas Oil Stadium for a prayer meeting. And by a prayer meeting, I mean it was a football game where I know there was a lot of people praying. And we were, we were in our row, and it was filling up. I was there, I'm there with my dad and my uncle, and there was three seats open to my left, and I knew they were going to get filled up. And these guys come in, and they're not wearing apparel for either team. In fact, one was wearing a hat for one of the rival teams. I could tell they'd had a few adult beverages already. And I thought, oh no, this could get rowdy. These guys are not here to have a good time or their idea of a good time is quite different than mine. So I made a snap judgment, like if this game is close, they're gonna be getting in the face of other fans. And so a few minutes in, we're sitting there, pregame, I feel one of the guys tapped outside of my leg. He goes, you look like a pretty sensible, level-headed guy. I'm like, and I think to myself, well, how perceptive you are. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I am. <laughs> so we start just talking about his favorite team and my team and Super pleasant guy. They were dead silent the whole game. They just sat there the whole time, even as everybody's standing up around and they're just sitting down. I'm like, oh, geez, my snap judgment was wrong. Back to Jesus. This side of his life, death, and resurrection shows us Jesus was not in influenced by outside appearances. He was not impressed with religious or political leaders 
or the wealthy. At the same time, he didn't shun prostitutes, beggars, the lame, the demonized, or the partiers. His disciples were not Israel's best of the best. John, in reflecting on who Jesus was and is, said he's full of grace and truth. Jesus was and is able to discern what's in a person, the way our sense of smell cues us on to what's going on around us. So in the same way that this wisdom-saturated person was the only one who could bring shalom to earth, this righteous person is the only one who could bring shalom to earth. He's, he's going to be from the line of David, the kingly line, and yet he was going to be unlike any king the people had ever seen. As I said, he was going to be he's wisdom-saturated and the only one who could bring peace to earth. Again, much more than calm or absence of conflict, he's going to bring flourishing. Individually, we can be in this place of, of flourishing because of what Jesus has done for us. We can flourish in our relationships. We can flourish in our work. And that's all from being in right relationship with God. Last week, Randy talked about there's the, the three comings of Christ. When, when Jesus was, was born, that was the first one. We, we look forward to when he returns. And now he comes to us individually in our, in our hearts and meets us in that way. As I said, we saw the wisdom and the, the way that Jesus treated people in his first coming. And now when we meet with him in various ways, we experience Jesus seeing us as we are. And when we read this passage, it doesn't line up with reality, with the world that we see around us. Because when Jesus was on earth, he didn't strike the world with the rod of his mouth or slay the wicked with the breath of his lips. And that's not happening now. John, in Revelation, picks up this imagery and sees it as a, a future event. What we did see was Jesus caring for the poor during his earthly ministry. He righteously judged the needy and, and gave decisions for the poor. Wisdom was on him and righteousness was his essence. That's why he could bring justice for the poor and the needy. Now, who Jesus is doesn't just bring righteousness and flourishing for the poor and the needy, but the animal kingdom as well. Verses 6 through 8 show us a, a time when animals, these natural enemies, are living together. They're eating together. They're sleeping next to each other. That's shalom. That's flourishing. Isaiah envisions a time where a child can put its hand in the nest of a poisonous snake and not be fearful. As a parent, that freaks me out. 
when we were, my wife and I were in Utah, I talked about it relatively recently. That's when a deer ran into us. Still haven't forgiven that deer. But we were walking through this slot canyon, and we were heading back to our vehicle, and we were on this really sandy path, and it was a good 10 to 12 feet wide. And as, as we were walking, I was kind of, I was looking on the ground in front of us, and I, I noticed something moving. And so my arm shot out to carry, and I stopped it. Now, in retrospect, I was really glad, because you, know, you hope you would protect the person that you love, but there was a part of me that was like, what if I grabbed her and put her in front of me? I mean, that was a reality that I was, I was afraid of. But, but no, I reached my arm out instinctively <clears throat> to, so we could examine what kind of snake this was. And I saw there was a little rattle at the end of it. And it was moving real slow. Now, there were a couple of other groups out there. They were doing tours, and, and we heard one of them coming. So we thought, well, it'd probably be a good idea to warn them. And they might be interested in seeing this. So it was a group of like seven people. And uh, the, the snake was almost in its nest, but we said, there's a, there's a rattlesnake here. I thought you guys might want to see it. There was one woman, like I said, 12-foot wide path. The snake was on one side. She goes all the way to the other and does this, like <laughs> jog run by the snake because she's got this fear. This shalom is still not fully here yet. Now, this imagery of the future reality of the new heavens and the new earth, uh, I think we will see animals. You can disagree. That's okay. I won't even debate you. But I think it's also metaphorical. I think what Isaiah has here is he has a vision of human enemies living in shalom together. He has a vision of flourishing where these two groups that should be opposites or in the natural are opposites and in opposition together, flourishing for the common good. Isaiah sees Israel and her enemies living together in shalom and flourishing. I think Isaiah sees Ukrainians and Russians working together in shalom. He sees warring tribes around the world working together in shalom. He sees black and white collaborating without fear or tension in shalom. He sees even Democrats and Republicans working together to serve our country in shalom. He sees us and those that we're in conflict with flourishing together. Isaiah concludes this passage by seeing, as, as I said at the beginning, this idea of a nation rallying peace. So he sees various nations coming together under this banner, this rallying point of saying we're all, we're all on the same team. So it's telling us that under this shoot or branch, we're one. Enemies in the natural become brothers and sisters. As I said earlier, when one flourishes, we all flourish. And we actually get to join in this now. This isn't simply a future reality. It's something that can come here and now.
Not in this fullness, but we can get a foretaste of it. So a question to ask yourself this morning is, where in your life can you bring this peace? Again, not calm, but flourishing. Something so much greater than calm. Now we, we can pray, and we, we need to pray, because it's a, it's a supernatural work. But once we do, there's more. There's actual steps that we can take. Now, I'm not sure what that's going to look like for you, but what I do know is there's an opportunity. Because there's an opportunity for each and every one of us in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our spheres of influence to bring this flourishing peace, this shalom. Because it's what Jesus wants to do with us and through us. So again, what, what might that look like as, as this year ends and, a, and we're close to a new one beginning? So at this time, anybody who's on our uh, ministry team, if you can come forward, Amy, if you're able to come play for us. So as I said, the Lord brings nation rallying peace from an unlikely source. The Lord has offered us a gl the glorious gift of shalom, and yet we often settle for calm. Jesus came to bring us flourishing that, that benefits all people who rally to his banner. We, this year, again, we, we did our, our giving wall. The fact that, there's a, that we have to do a giving wall means there's still a place for shalom. The fact that we have a food pantry and there's a need for a, a food pantry and, and many more like it means there's still a place for shalom. The fact that around our world and maybe even our backyards, pe different people groups hate and kill each other means the shalom is not here yet in full. Maybe you can relate to that on some level that you're in financial struggles or you feel tension with another person or another group. Part of what we do during this uh, Advent season that we did last week is a time for you to write down prayer requests for yourself or for somebody you know. And so this morning, where in your life do you need this shalom, this peace? Or who's somebody near to you that needs this shalom? So we invite you to come forward and write it down on this piece of paper and, and, and put it in the, the vase or vase, whatever, however you like to say that. We also have uh, our ministry teams up here ready to, to pray for you. Any other needs that you might have uh, this morning. I'm inviting Heather up here to share a word that she felt like the Lord gave her around anxiety. Yep, so during worship, um, I felt like I had a word of knowledge for somebody who struggles with panic fear. And um, I just heard Jesus say, 
Um, what you focus on grows, so quit focusing on, not so much quit, but try to stop focusing on the feeling that you want to go away and look at the Prince of Peace because he is peace. He doesn't just give peace, but he is peace, and he wants to give you peace today. So if that uh, connects with you um, in any way, we invite you to come forward and, and receive prayer for that. So um, our ministry teams will be up here. Amy will be will be praying. Invite you to come and write down um, your prayer request for peace or and to receive prayer.
for any who are watching online. Uh, we will have on our website a place where you can follow that link. There, there's a link in our weekly email as well to submit prayer requests. welcome to stay as long as you would like. If you want prayer, our ministry teams will be here. If you need to go, you're released. May you go in the, in the peace of Jesus. Amen.